cups, inside of paper cups, inside of plastic cups. Hello and welcome to Plastic Cups, Inside Paper Cups, Inside Plastic Cups. I'm Dennis Wilson and this is... Omar Rabadi. That's right. Uh, Omar, how's it going? Good, good. It's a weeknight here in Philadelphia. Uh, kind of under quarantine. Not really leaving the house much, but making the best of it. I have a little bit more free time than usual, so... Have, have so... you been... Have you been Are, drinking more or less since this COVID-19 stuff happened? Uh, drinking more uh, liquids in general or? No, alcohol. Alcohol. Um, well, I don't generally drink much in the week, um, whether there's a pandemic or not. And I would say that mostly holds true, except for maybe it creeps into Thursday a little bit. But I would say this weekend, this past weekend, probably a little bit more than usual. We were just like, we were supposed to go on vacation um, me and Bo were gonna uh, go visit um, my brother Joe and his wife Jessica and in San Francisco, and so our we would have had a little mini vacation starting Thursday through Monday, and so you know we kind of were like then debating a road trip, and then decided we'll take off Friday, and so we we decided to just like go on the roof and try to zone out. So you know we tried to have a little little party, a little little fun time. So that was maybe a little escalated, but uh. You know, I don't think crazy. Like, you know, we ha we just had some pizza and some wine. What about you? Uh, probably less. I'm more of a social drinker than a drink by myself kind of guy. But been drinking at home more than I did before. But overall, I'd probably say less. Okay. Yeah. Well, you want to keep your health up, your your immunity up. So it's not a it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of alcohol, first thing I wanted to ask you about. What two, which two bars would you say you miss more than others? Or I guess it's only been a couple weeks, but which ones are you going to be excited to be able to go to again when this cloud passes? Um, I would say, yeah, you, you, you text me about this and I, I gave it a quick thought. And I think the first thing that came to mind is um, like neighborhood bars, you know, so not any one bar in particular, um, but you know, live I live here in Northern Liberties, and so just being able to meet up with our friends in the neighborhood um, is always always good. So you know, Heritage is usually the go-to for us for like a happy hour type of thing. So I'd say neighbor bar neighborhood bars. I think the the old saying goes, you know, the 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 closest bar to you is the is one of the best bars. I don't know. Nobody says that. Um, but then I thought about, you know, Fishtown bars, because, you know, we'll go out in Fishtown and hit a couple of those, like Les and Doreen's, uh, which are just like typically like dive bars. And um, that's always a fun time to rub elbows. There's not a lot of elbow rubbing going on. Um, and then then you, you yeah, so th those would be the ones I would say, you know, like th they would miss, you know, I'd want to go back out to. Um, and then maybe Rotten Ralph's for a, if there's basketball again, we could watch a game around Ralph's, the Sixers game. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'd say I miss my neighborhood bars the most. Uh, Watkins Drinkery, uh, Pub on Pass Young East. So just the ones where 
it just seems like it's normal for a person to go there by themselves. People know the bartenders. The bartenders are comfortable with the people there, just a chilled, relaxed atmosphere. Uh, what would you say, in general, makes a good bar? Like, what separates a bar that you're like, I want to go back to that place, versus one that's like, ah, it was okay, but... Well, uh, yeah, I guess it depends on, you know, where you're, what your mood is. So I, I don't think there's like a one bar fits all, so, you know, one, you know, one bar fits all. So, you know, if you're looking for like cocktails, you know, obviously a little bit something maybe nicer, but what is my favorite bar, I think everybody knows is a dive bar. Um, so what makes a good bar is, I don't know, like, or I just think what just, makes a good dive bar? What makes yeah, like, uh, un, well, obviously the unpretentiousness of it, um, though, you know, you'll get a lot of dive bars that are overrun with pretension, but, and then like shift and clientele, but, you know, just like a, a, a lack of pretension, um, you know, I, I think that there's a fair market price for, for booze is good, you know, because like a lot of places are overpriced if you think about what you can get on the shelf in the liquor store obviously you, you have to pay for the maintenance of the building and the staff but i think a good nice fair market price for a uh for for drinks is is a good thing and then i don't know just a good atmosphere of like yeah we're just we're just here we're just chilling um and and i was thinking about like i think you asked me like you know over text like okay what's the favorite one do i do you want me to reveal that yet or or, yeah, go no. for it. All right. Well, I was thinking, I mean, I just racked my brain like real quick. And, the, and I was like, okay, what's the first thing that shuffles through? And I was thinking, you know, if, if we're talking more of the dive bar stream, like L bar is, is, is got to be right up there because it's got a, it's got a perfect combination of, it's got different scenes even just within it of like, there's like a pool table and there's always like a pool table scene and there's some guys who bring their own sticks and there's some real fuck there's some real gamers going on and then you can sit at the bar and um and then you can go kind of to the back area and there's like weird little tables and you can kind of have your own thing going on and then there's the back area out outdoors which is like the most underrated um like outdoor seating bar in in philly i feel like because it's just like you know, dirt ground and some stone and some pool or uh, some picnic tables and there's like random stray cats and stuff. So, to me, that that might be the perfect dive bar. It might it might be. And then when it gets like, it's not. It's one of those dive bars that it, sometimes it does get a little packed and fun, like a little bit of a party too. So, what about what do you got in terms of your what makes what makes a, the the best bar for you? Yeah, I think it's a relaxed atmosphere, music playing, but not too loud. Uh, like you said, kind of different scenes within the bar. Yeah, so yeah, a lot a lot of the same points you said. I do really like about L Bar that, you know, you can go outside, you can, when the weather is nice enough. Uh, yeah, and also just a good, good bartender can make a big difference. Like a bartender who can strike up conversations with somebody they know or somebody they haven't met before that always helps yeah there's, there's well i'm going to add something else to like just generally why philly is such a good bar town is that we have the uh the citywide special so you're you're familiar with the citywide special right yeah it's usually a pbr and some sort of whiskey yeah it's usually like um i think Shot. i don't know the, the, yeah the, the standard is like in, might be PBR and a shot of 
well, no, I don't know if there's a standard, but it's like it's like a cheap beer and a, and a shot of whiskey bourbon for the really the true citywide is like three dollars, and so that's like a crazy deal because you know you could be paying for a shot like eight to ten bucks other places and then three to five for a beer, so it's it's just nuts. So like people might charge like five bucks for it some places, but that's that's a crazy deal. Like if you think about like what you would pay for that elsewhere. Um, so I think that that's what makes a lot of bars in Philly, you know, you can, you know, young people, um, can, can really go out and have a good time in, in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I think separates you from a lot of people I know is you don't just like dive bars. You like old man dive bars where there's like 70 year old dudes and they're not used to seeing young people wander in there <laughs> and you really want to like chat up these old men, usually it goes well, sometimes not as well, depending what the, you know, if we start talking politics or not, but what is it, <laughs> what is, I think you remember the time I'm talking about, but what is it about old man dive bars that you love? Well, I would question, I would pop, you know, I would push the question back of like, is, is it really a dive bar if there's not some old dudes drinking there? True. Because, because a real dive bar is it's neighborhood it's it's affordable and if you got some old dude in there he's probably you know he's he's probably drinking quite a bit so he's got to drink at a very affordable level so i don't know if it's a real dive bar if there's not some old dude sitting in, in the side so you know besides that it's like well i don't know it's a it, like there's they got stories to tell usually yeah. you know if you just like you know most people have stories to tell um, but in that setting, you know, you, you pull their ear for a second and all of a sudden they're telling you the, one of the craziest stories you ever heard. So for me, for, you know, that's worth the price of admission to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's nice to talk to people from a different walk of life in the sense that usually, you know, those people, they've lived in Philly their whole life and, you know, they're just older. So that gives them maybe they're a little bit looser. They're not as worried about impressing people. They'll just sort of answer the question you ask them well yeah i mean to be honest like that's one of the biggest things for me and like i think one way you could look at it is that you're kind of taking a pleasure cruise like you know we're both you know white collar white men right um we don't need to be going to dive bars i guess you know from an economic standpoint but like you know like you can look at it that you're just kind of like um, gawking and, and like taking a pleasure cruise through dive bars and old man bars. But the other thing is like, like, you know, your economic level and, you know, the social circles you run through is like a very limited amount of points of use that you can be exposed to. So, you know, um, you know, everything aside, like it's a, it's a good way to, to see what's going on in the world besides your, you know, your, your stratification within the social hierarchy. So, um, not that it's like I go to a dive bar and I'm doing something great for the world, but like there is an aspect of that that you can talk to somebody who's got a truly different point of view than you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we touched upon it in the beginning, but so we did decide on a name and it is plastic cups inside paper cups inside plastic cups i hope i got that right. <laughs> really you came up with the name so i know <laughs> i know it's a lot though it's a lot uh it, do you feel it's a lot but 
but people you can comfortable with people... it like it's a shirt that fits well how, how are you feeling about it oh yeah well so you like we we kicked around what oh i guess we had a, a previous name when we you know five ish years ago when we we were going to do a podcast we had a different name then you you posed this one and it immediately i don't know rung a bell in my brain and then we said okay let's sleep on it and then we had a little me you and, and Bo had a little chat and I think she voted for it and I was like all right let, let's do it and then it's grown on me quite a bit so we're in I already made you know we made a we made a SoundCloud page and then we you know we did all the work so it's you know it's it's done now yeah <laughs> and I, I can even envision like merchandise going along with it you know doesn't even have to have the name on it just some combination of plastic cups and paper cups to get good mugs or actually we could sell plastic cups and paper cups yeah it's, i would it's, sell it's, mugs no yeah plastic cups and paper cups and plastic cups in a package <laughs> um yeah we could do that i mean it's not it's not environmentally friendly but no, it's fine it is, it is. we'll make them reusable somehow yeah. So the other thing I wanted to touch on was the um, the um, our theme song. So this is another a piece of a legacy from our original iteration of the podcast that never happened. Was um, I, I I found this song, um, this Credence song uh, called "It's Just a Thought." Um, it's off their album Pendulum, uh, which is like. The last album that they made with um, uh, John Fogarty, and then they made some really, really bad album. Wait, and it's they, like, made, they made albums without John Fogarty? They made, I believe they made one album. Yeah, they made one album. Yeah, so they made one album after the departure of um, uh, Tom Fogarty. Did I say, wait, no, Tom Fogarty. Okay, no, they didn't. Okay, so no, Pendulum is their last good album. That's what it is. Okay. They they made one album after that called Mardi Gras, um, which was after the departure of like um, one of their one of like uh, John Fogarty's brother Tom Fogarty, but but the bat the, the so Mardi Gras was the album where they're like you know we should have more equal uh, a songwriting credit, and 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 John Fogarty at that time was at like his wits end. He's like okay cool. Like go for it, and like it was a terrible album, and then they broke up. Um, but Pendulum is kind of like it feels like you know it feels like their last album. It's not as upbeat and rocking, you know, as their other stuff. Like the previous one to that was Cosmos Factory, which is like amazing. So, um, but in any case, yeah. So like, I just figured you know give credit to John Fogerty and the the CCRs. Um, are you worried about any copyright infringement issues? Yeah, but we'll turn it to our advantage. You know, we'll get we'll get some free press about rebelling against it somehow. It'll be fine. They'll just send us a cease and desist eventually. Well, yeah, and also, you know, uh, John Fogarty went through that big legal battle about copyright infringement, where oh, that's wrote, right, when they did right. Clearwater Revisited. No, it was it was because. Uh, one of it, uh, the song he wrote when he's in his solo career, um, uh, I think the old man is down the road sounded like run through the jungle and, mm. and, a, and they went through the litigation and, and they, the judge decided you, you can't cop 
be right and fringe yourself um, because he's got, and he played guitar in the stand and he had, he proved that he just had distinctive ways of playing his guitar and doing things that were like inherent to his like art, art artistry. And so they like kind of threw it out court. So if, if John Fogarty comes at us, like, I feel like that'd be really hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll work something out with him. We'll, we'll offer to write some songs for free for him. And <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we'll just throw some of that, um, plastic cups inside paper cups inside of plastic cups money at him. Yeah. I've heard, we'll yeah. Him, we'll give him some free merchandise. Cause we've already got some, some advertisers like, yeah, um, yeah. We've got some ads lined in. up. Hopefully we'll be ready to go next week. Cool. Yeah, got some oh, last thing, last thing, if if we're if we're talking some housekeeping stuff, is um, the the mailbag. We got a we got a mailbag set up. Um, so uh, I think uh, crap. I, I should have double checked, but I'm pretty sure I just set it up today. It's uh, I I can pull it up. I can pull yeah, it up. pull it up because I don't want to I don't want to misstate it. I mean, you could also text Omar. Or or me or email us, but you know. Not, we're all... not everybody is going to have our information. It's just no, I mean millions. It, right. If if you know us, then you know just you can just hit us up. But yeah. Um, so you can email us at plastic cups inside paper cups. Wait, let me start over. Everyone, forget that. All right. Yes, plastic cups inside paper cups at gmail.com. <laughs> Plastic cups. Uh, I'm gonna say it. Plastic cups inside paper cups at gmail.com. Yes. Is that yes. fair? E okay. Yeah. Just email email us there if you have any questions you'd like us to answer. We'll be more than happy to. Yeah, and, and I pr we prefer that you send us, you know, um, d digital mailbag stuff because of the social distancing distancing that's going on but if if you feel like you really got to send us a written letter just send it to uh, uh 212 boogie woogie avenue yeah yeah no no knocking on my door and you know making me open the door to ask me a question no in-person question not the right yeah and we're we're looking for a sponsor for the mailbag because that's going to be a repeating feature so you know get your 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 daddy warbucks out yeah yeah there's an early bird discount so don't don't wait on it yeah what is it like i think i think we said 15 percent something like that yeah yeah something like that. all right okay. so something i was wondering is what has been the best piece of entertainment since we've been under quarantine anything you've consumed that you're like man this was just really, really good. This really helped me pass the time. Um, well, I'm, why don't you tell me, because you came up with this, and I, I don't think I had something that really rang the bell. Um, so why don't you start, and then I have, I have some other things. Okay. Uh, so I watched this show on Netflix. I'm sure people listening have also watched it. It seems to be getting a lot of press. It's called Tiger King. It's about the underworld of private zoos. It's one of those shows, it's a documentary, so this isn't fiction. It's one of those shows that just gets weirder and weirder and weirder as it goes along. Oh uh, yeah, I saw some pictures of that and I wasn't sure what it was all about. I actually thought it was a farce. It's Parts of it seem like a farce. Like the main character was also a musician and he wrote these ridiculous, crazy songs. 
And I was wondering if like those parts were a farce, but no, those parts were real too. So yeah, you learn about all of these private zoos and we're not talking about like the Philadelphia Zoo or the Bronx Zoo, which are public private partnerships, a lot of government involvement. These are completely private zoos started by people who bought exotic animals who are either breeding them themselves or buying them from breeders. A lot of quasi-legal stuff. A lot of the characters, pretty much all the characters in this show come across as quasi-cult leaders. A lot of weird characters. There's a murder mystery. There's, you know, one... There's one zookeeper, you know, wanting to have another zookeeper killed. There's just so much weirdness in this show. It's really a great story. It's one of those shows that's hard to stop watching. What's the name of that again? It is called Tiger King. Okay. Yeah. um, Yeah, I I actually, I saw a picture today. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was like a meme because I thought like, it looked like the guy from it looked like um, this is not a nice comparison, but Paul Shear from the league. Um, I don't know if you know that comedian, but um, that sounds, it sounds awful. Like I don't like zoos um, in, in general, but like the idea of people keeping wild animals captive is just reprehensible. So I don't know. It might make me a little angry. Yeah. Like these seem even worse than normal zoos, the, you know, the amount of space the tigers have and the other exotic animals. And, you know, the people who own, these weird characters who own these zoos do love tigers and they do love the other animals. So I don't think they're intentionally being abusive to them, but that doesn't mean the conditions they're in aren't abusive. And, uh, well, yeah, that's just like, that's like Lenny from Of Mice and Men, who's just like, you know, he loves the rabbits so much that he crushes them. Like, that's that's not, it's like maybe his intentions weren't bad, but it's still a bad result. So not not a fan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they kind of get to that towards the end of the show about, you know, ti- tigers, in, tigers in the wild are not friendly creatures. But so it's amazing to see how different they are when they've been so domesticated you know to to an extent they're still really they're still really dangerous but obviously less less so in these private zoos than in the wild okay yeah so that's probably yeah tiger king's the best piece of entertainment i've seen since we've been under quarantine uh what have you been doing to pass the time um yeah, so like, I, yeah, when you asked me about this, like, I know everybody's talking about like what they're watching and everything. Um, I feel like we've actually been, we haven't watched a ton because I was saying like last weekend, we, uh, you know, we kind of unplugged a bit. Um, and so Bo and I have been playing a lot of this ga- this um, uh, card game called Skip Bo. Um, so I don't know if you're from, well, I, 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 have you heard us no, talk I've about that game at all? Yeah, so Skip Bo, like we, me, uh, me and Bo and our friends uh, Mike and Kim, kind of got a little obsessed with this because, like, a couple years ago when we went to the Finger Lakes, um, 
this the lake house we were at like randomly had this deck of cards and i had never heard of it but kim like knew this game and so like we started playing it there and then like since then like you know me and bo bought a deck of these cards and we've had some like nights where we all get together and play this but like me and bo have been having like you know was ongoing skip bow tournament so and the game is like when you play one-on-one take i don't know i think they take a good hour because we just played and it went down to the last card and and she beat me but like it, it took a good 45 minutes to an hour so like the game is like i don't know it's like a, a I, w- I don't want to compare it to uno because uno is a foolish game for foolish people and children and only children should play it but um, like Skippo is similar to that because it's very basic and it's like, you know, it's, just, it's these numbers and you're just putting cards on top of each other. But I, I, can't, I can't describe it. I don't think describing a card game over a podcast is the best. But um, it's I think I, I, there's a historical perspective. It was, you know, it was I'm reading this, but like it was created by Minnie Hazel Skip Bowman. So. That's how it became Skip Bo, but as you know, Omar, I think you're aware that my wife's name is Bo, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so like, it's kind of funny because we play Skip Bo. Why do you dislike Uno so much? Did you have a bad experience with Uno? <laughs> um, I don't know. I just don't like it. I just, like, it seems very dumb. It seems like there's no strategy, and I think you can... Maybe say Skip Bo doesn't have a ton of strategy, but me and Bo are learning that there's a lot of strategy when you play one-on-one. But I don't know. I played it recently with Rubes and our friend Rubes and um, somebody else was there. Um, I don't know. And it just was like really unenjoyable. What What's your favorite Carter board game? Um, huh. I, I don't know. I really like as I, I really like Monopoly. If I was gonna, I'm not a big game person because yeah. I'm not good. I'm not good at remembering rules. Um, so I don't like I don't like playing games that much because there's like, you know, all these things you have to remember, and it's just for some reason I just I can't I just can't do it. Um, but Monopoly I know how to play, and I've always liked that. I don't know even you know as a, as a kid. Uh, me and my brother would play and we'd have these like epic games and it was it seemed like as a child it's almost like it's it's ex, you know it can be extreme because it's like you're like you're I don't know it's not like you're just losing a game it's like like you're being decimated <laughs> so financially so I don't know there's something like super I think there's a, like a like a, a mental imprint from playing some of those Monopoly games where it seems very high stakes so I like Monopoly a lot. What about you? You know, I'm kind of with you as in I'm not that into games. Like, especially as an adult, when I go somewhere and we're all hanging out, I kind of want to just sit and talk. I don't want to have to worry about learning the rules to some game. So, yeah, I I wouldn't say I particularly have a favorite. Okay, so thought that would be a good way to get us into... Um, potentially the last thing, but maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? Um, so I had this this um, idea. I don't know. Like, as all the the shit was going down uh, um, with 
you know, our isolation and whatnot. Um, I don't know. I guess not to be like morbid or anything. I think, I don't know. We've all had thoughts of like, Oh, like, you know, it could be an entirely like a, um, you know, economic breakdown and, and a, a sense of lawlessness. I don't think that, you know, it's not that I think that that's going to happen. I don't know. You know, like it's, it, 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 but it's like, you know, once those ideas start like pop into your head, it's like, you know, it's this weird feeling, you know, I think that that causes some of the stress that's going on. Um, and you, you know, you want to like think, you know, be prepared and all that. But, um, but then like some of these songs like that was what I was listening to started popping in my head. Um, and so I just wanted to take a little tour of a couple of the songs that, that I was thinking about. And, and as, as we were, I, I made you a little playlist and I sent it to you so you could check them out. I was like calling them like songs of humiliation and salvation. Um, but then I realized like once I started researching them a little bit more that they were basically like gospel songs. <laughs> so, um, that makes sense, I guess, because, you know, like gospel music is, um, you know, it's based on religion and their, their foundation, you know, th their themes are about the, you know, the, the notion of salvation and a better place beyond, you know, this world, which is a, a comforting factor. And if, you know, you do like some, like looking into the history of, gospel music there's you know there's some very reasonable explanation for why that you know that develops it's you know as, as, a, as a matter of function um but in any case i don't know these these things like pumped, packed, uh, um, jumped in my head is like not like like i went looking for them these are like songs i've liked for a long time um because i don't know i i found them like slightly like interesting and in the fact that there's like this um kind of contrast between joyfulness and and death and destruction kind of i thought that's like it's like a, it's a weird thing to me um to think about um so i just want to like play a couple of those and like we get we can get each other's um reaction on those sounds good yeah, so the, the the first one I was gonna play is um Uncloudy Day. Um and, and again, this is like a, a, a gospel song giving credit. Uh Josiah Kelly at Alwood. I'm not sure who that person is, but originally written in 1879. Um but my the version I like and that I was gonna play is uh Willie Nelson version off the album Troublemaker from 1976. Um, and this is really, this is classic uh, Willie era. Um, sounds great. This album is actually all like kind of um, covers and like gospel songs. Um, but one of my favorite Willie songs, so Uncloudy Day. So let's just play that for a second. Tell me I'm home where no storm 
All right. So I don't know if you, uh, Omar, if you had any initial thoughts about that one. Um, yeah, sounds like classic Willie Nelson to me has sort of a little bit of a nice beat rhythm to it. Uh, what, what did you take away from the words to it, though? Well, I mean, if you don't, like, I mean, I, yeah, like, I think if you just listen to it, it, it's like a great Willie Nelson song. It's like an uncloudy day sounds like a great thing. And then, you know, but then it, like, I was sitting down, like, looking at the lyrics and stuff. And it's like, you know, then it goes, it talks about, like, it's uncloudy day is obviously, like, an analogy for, like, you know, the the place beyond heaven and all that, which is, like, not a notion that, like, I guess one of my curiosities is like, you know, I'm not a religious person, but like, there's something about that that's just like, I don't know, um, interesting and kind of beautiful. And so, I don't know. Yeah, it, it talks about all that stuff and and like, and and basically heaven and all that. But like, it's also just a great fun song. So, I think it's I like it because there's like two, there's a couple different levels to it. It's like just a fun like kind of pop bluegrass uh, country song and then it's also like this thing about like you know like a after death you know yeah yeah definitely seems like it's a pining for an afterlife uh pretty pretty straightforward uh but you know the music but that's the, that's the nice thing about music like you can have straightforward lyrics but when you add the music to it, it makes gives it another feel to it. Yeah. So um, the other one I was gonna play is, um, oh, so this this I, I, this one is so actually like literally was making a playlist uh, um, last week. First one was Uncloudy Day, and then the second one was uh, Great Atomic Power, um, a song originally by the Lovin' Brothers or the Leuven brothers rather, because there's L O U V I N. Um, and so this song first came to me by way of uncle Tupelo, which you're, you're familiar with, right? Yeah. Yeah. I listen, I love that album that it's on March 16th to 20th. It's a great album. And yeah, it never occurred to me that they didn't write this song. I guess we don't really live in the days of album sleeves anymore. So I don't really look into who wrote what. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I yeah, I got into these guys around 2005, courtesy of like the two. No, it was like 2002, courtesy of Chris Brower, um, and it was it was still CD days. I remember I was going to the, uh, the um, what was it? Oh, the Turn It Up, I think, in uh, Keene, New Hampshire, where I was living at the time, and, and still buying CDs. So I guess I was doing some of that, but I'm still always on Wikipedia trying to read who's the songwriters and whatnot. Um, but in any case, yeah, it came to me by way of Uncle Tupelo, which is one of my favorite bands. Um, but this this one, I think, is like, you know, if, if you take like a gospel song, which is, you know, a lot of it has roots in um, the combination of like Christianity and um, the uh, African-American African plight. So um, this this is kind of like an update on this um, because it it's a combination of like that notion of uh, like salvation uh, combined with the threat of atomic uh, nuclear warfare, right? Or 
and so it's like an updated version. This, I think this song's from 1962. Um, there was another song I was confusing it with called Just Atomic Power from another group, and I, I, can't, I can't recall the name offhand, which was from, from 1946. But I think that there's like actually like a whole like, um, um, like group series of songs around like, you know, the threat of atomic uh, war and, and annihilation. Um, and this one falls into that. But so this is like an updated version of like a gospel song, but with like the threat of nuclear death. And uh, so I, I don't know. The like, threat, yeah. So I'm assuming the threat of nuclear death that wasn't in the original gospel song. That was a change that Uncle Tupelo... No, no, sorry, sorry. Like the, when the the Leuven brothers, like the lyrics are original. So let's just play that song real quick. Okay. Do you fear this man's invention that they call atomic power? Are we all in great confusion. Do we know time or hour? When a terrible explosion may rain down upon our land, leaving horrible blotting out the works of man are you are you ready for that great atomic power you rise and meet your savior in the air will you shout or will you cry when the fire rains from on high are you ready for that great atomic power yeah so this is those are the Leuven brother lyrics that Uncle Tupelo redid, um, and yeah, in 1962, the Leuven brothers um, you know, like wrote about this in the you know a gospel, basically a gospel song within the context of the threat of nuclear disaster. So I think that was an interesting thing. I'm just not certain whether you know when I listen to it, I always. You know, I took Uncle Tupelo to be like they treated the the folk songs that they they covered like throughout their career very seriously, and they were never an ironic band. But I, I, I'm try, still trying to figure out whether the Lovin Brothers. Um, I was doing a little Wikipedia research, like whether they were ironic themselves, because it, it seems to be. Um, I don't know. It just it just seems like. The lyric here, like, when the mushroom of destruction falls in it and all its fury great, God will surely save his children from this awful fate. I don't know. It just seems like a little bit like a little too late, you know, what is the, the saying, you know, a little too little too late kind of thing. I don't know. It just seems like maybe they're kind of kind of being a little tongue in cheek, but I, I guess I would have to do a little more research to figure it out. I mean, they might mean we're going to be saved because we get to go to an afterlife. They might not mean saved in this world. That would be my guess. That was how I interpreted it. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a funny, funny uh, juxtaposition of some of the lyrics. And, and their, their album cover for one of their uh, albums called Satan is Real is really, um, is really kind of funny. Um, I guess part of it is because they didn't have, you know, advanced graphic design at the time, obviously, but, um, what it's like, so I'll describe the cover, but the cover features the brothers, uh, in a rock quarry dressed in matching spotless white suits and black ties in front of a 13 foot tall plywood rendition of the devil as several hidden tires soaked in kerosene burn behind them as fire and brimstone. 
Yeah. So they were going for like whether either they were just like pulling together um, the best they could do for that cover, or they were being kind of ironic. So I don't know. I'm gonna do more research on that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much about the Lubin brothers. I'm not even sure if I said that correctly. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly, <laughs> but I think it's the Lubin brothers. Yeah. So yeah, obviously around that time, I there's a ton of songs about nuclear weapons, you know, it was definitely a turning point in history. And I think it's less scary to us because there have always been nuclear weapons since we were born. But, uh, you know, imagine being someone who was 14 and all of a sudden there's nuclear weapons. You know, it's, I think was probably rightfully a more shocking thing than, than it is now. And it's understandable that you know, it inspired a lot of great and dark music. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to do, uh, yeah, I'm going to do some more research on like that type of, I don't know. I just have a curiosity about it. And I think that um, it's interesting, you know, like it also resulted in arguably a over I mean, not that there wasn't like when there was um, the risk of like the Cuban Missile Crisis, but, um, you know, there like a tremendous amount of fear about destruction, which was probably, you know, at that point, pretty legitimate. I don't know whether they actually actually had real nuclear warheads there or not. But like, um, you know, let's save this for, for maybe next week. But like uh, me and uh, Mr. Morris, Morris Bankston were talking about just the just the overall dis I don't know if disruption is the right word, but like um, I don't know, just the psychological impact and weirdness of what's going on right now. Like, like if I don't know how you measure that impact, but if if you were to measure it in the depth of like the human psyche, then are we on the level of like Cuban Missile Crisis? Are we on the level of Vietnam War? Are we on the level of World War Two, I think, somewhere in that in that range is where we're at, to be honest. Yeah, I, it's a weird thing to think about because, you know, the the death toll isn't going to reach, you know, <clears throat> any of those numbers. At least I don't think it will. But there's just the whole disruption in our daily lives, which just brings a weirdness to it is the best way to describe it. Like it, it almost doesn't seem real because, uh, you know, we were criticizing politicians before for not really seeing this coming, but I'll be honest, like, you know, I've heard about past pandemics that almost got here, but never did. And it always just seemed like, ah, that's something that's not really going to happen. You know, the idea of nothing being open in the city that we live in, it's just something that never even, you know, crossed my mind that that would happen. So to me, it's, it does, it, I, I wasn't alive during any of those times you just described, but it just, it doesn't feel like that, that type of fear, like a war type fear, but it's just this sort of surrealness that's weird yeah. to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess it's a surrealness, um, but I guess it's TBD also. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to downplay the danger to people. Obviously, there is, you know, a danger to people. Yeah, and and I, I think we should kind of like probably zip on through to the other side, but um, but like, I do want to maybe next week talk about this Atlantic article. Or no, I was reading a, a Atlantic article and an Economist article because those are the publications that I read. Um, but no, just kidding. Um, but like there was, you know, if if it's kind of going to be rare, very bad here, then in undeveloped nations where medical system hygiene are, are and, and the economy are not even nearly as strong, it's going to be far worse. So on a on a, you know, nation standpoint, it's going to be bad. But on a global standpoint, it's going to be. Uh, pro- potentially worse than you know, in, in death toll than I would say the Vietnam War and maybe the probably not World War Two, but I don't know. If, probably good idea to speculate at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but yeah, I I hear what you're saying. Like it's. Uh, I, I I guess the point I was trying to make is I don't I don't feel the way I think people would feel who are living in a war zone. I, I think that that was the point I was trying to make. Yeah, no, I hear you. There, um, there's definitely a danger from the disease, but it, I don't think I don't think it compares to, to actually living in a war zone. No, no. So where do we go now? Uh, I guess on that right note, we will. Uh, wait, no. A, wait, we're going to call it a night on that. No, we, listening. no, wait, we can't call it a night on that. It's too dark. Uh, I, you know, I'm gonna, I, like, I'll ask you one question. Sure. Um, so, like, last episode, you asked me at the end, how has the last week been for you? And I'm going to ask you now, how's the last week been for you, Omar? It's been weird. It's been weird. Uh, hasn't been all bad. Uh, I'll start with a positive. I don't have to go to work. I don't have to come home from work. I don't have to put on nice clothes. So those those things are all nice. It gives me a little bit of extra time. Uh, I think the first few days I was following the news too much, and that wasn't good. But I feel like I'm in a better rhythm now of using my free time a little bit to read a little bit more you know, jog a little bit, trying to stay six feet away from people, which can be hard sometimes, but kind of feels like I'm jogging in a video game. Uh, <laughs> Is there that many joggers in South Philly? No, I mean, especially not the last couple of days, but just sort of people walking around, uh, people just popping out from their porch or whatever, people congreg- getting out of an Uber or whatever. Yeah, do you hang out in your back area? Your back yeah, patio. Yeah, my weather hasn't been nice the last couple of days, but it's kind of nice to go to my backyard, get some air now and then. Uh, yeah, so I mean, hasn't been too bad. I kind of, I do miss just the every once in a while, you know, going out, seeing people, doing things. Uh, so that hasn't, you know, that's been a little bit of an adjustment, but gotta, you know, always make the best of the situation. Yeah, yeah. There's always some things you can do 
Um, maybe we can meet out, you know, on a deserted road somewhere and stand 10 feet away and, <laughs> and, and just, just make eye contact for like five <laughs> minutes and then go our own way. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. You know, <laughs> there should, there, we could, I'm surprised it hasn't been something organized like that. Like, 15 feet apart meetups. <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be for like, cause I know you're, you're a man on the dating scene that like they're, they're going to have to figure out the, you know, the dating situation is if this keeps on going on. So maybe it's like you guys meet out on a football field and just like talk on your phone for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe with like megaphones, like have a conversation <laughs> on a megaphone, <laughs> like 150 feet apart. Oh, I'm gonna go out and buy all the megaphones. <laughs> all right, man. Well, all right. Plastic cups inside paper cups inside plastic cups. I'll talk to you later, man. Talk to you later. Good night, everyone. to hold